Welcome to the Ackerman Center podcast. As a digital extension of the Ackerman Center, our goal is to teach the past so we can change the future. In doing so, we address issues related to the Holocaust, genocide, and human rights studies from diverse perspectives. Good afternoon. We're back here with the years. Those are the podcasts where everyone is dedicated to one of the years of the Third Reich, beginning with 1933 and concluding with 1945. Welcome. Thank you again for joining us today to our podcast. I'm here with my co-producer, Angie Simmons. Hi, Dr. Romer. We are picking back up on our years series with the year 1943. 1943 is an immensely important year, not that the others aren't. But in many ways, 1943 is a very perplexing year because overtly the tides are already turning. This is, you know, starts out with Nazi Germany conceding defeat in Stalingrad. So for all intents and purposes, the end is almost in sight. But then, as we obviously know, that's not quite going to be the case. The Third Reich will last another two and a half years. So in lots of ways, it's a midway point of sorts, also if we think about the Holocaust. This is also a very important year in terms of what's happening with the Jews. In particular, we have at this time the liquidation of the ghetto. So you talked about Operation Barbarossa and... After the failings of the German army, we see this violent turn against the Jewish population. And here is an iteration of that with the liquidation of the ghettos and the movement of the Jewish people into the death camps. So initially, these ghettos were temporary holding places. The plan was to move all Jews out of the Reich. We talked about, and I think in previous episodes, how they had planned to move them to Madagascar. Obviously, that plan didn't pan out. So now it was a point of desperation, so to speak, and they began to move the Jews in the eastern part of the Reich out of the ghettos and transfer them to the death camps where they would eventually be murdered. So that's in many ways really the the story of 1942, where almost with incredible speed, the Nazis succeed in almost killing three million Jews. By February 1943, and if you think about the Wannsee Conference only occurred in January um, of 1942, then all of this happens in a considerably short amount of time, in particular since most deportations more regularly only commence after the spring of 1942. So the whole machinery takes a little bit of time to really get into full action and accelerates then really toward the end um, in August, September, and October in particular. So now in '43, that's why I say it's kind of the midpoint. Three million Jews have already been killed. But the other interesting part about it is is three million Jews still are going to be killed, but now under radically changing circumstances. And this is, I think, where the liquidation of the ghettos fall in, are part of a much larger story, of course, that we're tracking here. The initial killing was made possible by operating by the operation of the so-called killing sites, Sobibor, Treblinka, and others. They are actually incrementally decommissioned throughout 1943, while at the same time Auschwitz becomes the more significant killing site and therefore gets expanded, with new crematoriums being added to the already existing ones. 
So if from a geographical perspective we look at it, we could see that in many ways the, the center of killing shifts from the east to the west. And that's totally in line with what happens on a military perspective, that with the kind of Soviets pushing, they're pushing from the east to the west. So you in lots of ways could almost say that the Nazis are adjusting to the change military um, situations by moving the centers of mass killing more to the west and more in line with being more accessible now to the you know larger deportations that are going to come in the in the remaining two and a half years so therefore 1943 in many ways is a time of tremendous change but also of renewed attention to the genocidal uh, practices of the third reich as you mentioned as they're pulling back to the west and they're decommissioning these death camps, they're dismantling them and destroying all the evidence as they're bringing themselves in tighter and tighter to towards Germany. And with that also, they have particular groups of Jews who are, who are meant to help to aid in this process of destroying all the evidence. And then they too, of course, are murdered as well. So there's this kind of action of erasing what's been happening in the East as they're pulling back. And then even though they're pulling back, the violence is intensifying. Then they're killing more and more in a shorter amount of time, and that's due in part to what we spoke about in our last episode with the implementation of the gas chambers because it allows for this mass killing to occur on a much larger scale and to be more efficient. Very, very true. But it all creates a really convoluted landscape. We have on, the, on the one side, we have Stalingrad and the Soviet Red Army pushing from the east to the west. But then also we have another really famous story, Operation Torch, meaning the American and the British that are pushing through North Africa. Geography on both of these ends starts to radically change. And then also really importantly for for the sense of how things are in the Third Reich, in January 1943, the Royal Air Force renews the air raids on German cities after, you know, they had initially started that, but then... They hadn't been particularly good in, in terms of their targeting. In '43, they come back and come back with big commitments. So this is when we see these, the big air raids on German cities. In between, though, the British start the offensive in January on Tripoli and Libya, while at the same time we have the famous um, Casablanca conference where Roosevelt and Churchill are already discussing unconditional surrender as well as ideas of holding... Um, those responsible for the the crimes responsible um, in a judicial manner, while at the same time in Berlin, total war is being declared. So there's a lot that is happening, which all suggests that we're still far away from the end, unfortunately. It's also important to note here when we're talking about all this opposition to the Germans, obviously they had been so successful for so long, it's what allowed them to gain the position that they gained in Europe. But here we have this turning point, which we've spoken about before, and this this real challenge to the German power. And it also comes from the Jews as well. A particular incident of this is the very famous Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, where we see a very important opposition to the Germans in the form of Jewish resistance. Well, we have an interesting article um, that also, you know, kind of sheds some light, not so much maybe on what happens or didn't, but uh, how things were interpreted far away. The Times, Tuesday, May 25th, 1943. Pogrom in the Warsaw Ghetto. 
Jews' Desperate Fate. Dr. I. Schwarzwart, a member of the National Council of Poland, has received from the ghetto in Warsaw two messages signed by the Central Committee of Jewish Labor and the Jewish National Committee in Poland, the burden of which, he writes, is his sad duty to convey to the public as perhaps one of the last appeals for a fighting and dying people. The first message, dated April 28th, states, Today is the ninth day that the ghetto fights back. SS and Wehrmacht formation lay siege. Artillery and flamethrowers are employed, and airplanes shower high explosives and incendiary bombs on the 40,000 Jews who still remain here. The Germans mine and blast blocks of houses where there is resistance. The ghetto is burning and smoke covers the whole city of Warsaw. Men, women, and children who are not burnt alive are murdered in mass. Mouths of drain pipes are blocked by German guards. The Jews fight back furiously and have killed and wounded about a thousand of the enemy. They burn factories and stores of German war industry. It is imperative that the powerful retaliation of the United Nations shall fall upon the bloodthirsty enemy immediately and not in some distant future in a way which will make it quite clear what the retaliation is for. The second message, dated May 11th, said that the resistance was nearing its end. Also an example now of this ever more complex Second World War and the ways by which it is locally interpreted. As here, though, um, the uprising is as much motivated by hopes as it is motivated by despair. Here, what motivates the Jews to rise is not so much the, the instantaneous expectation that neither of victory nor of the immediate defeat of Nazi Germany, but rather a sense of utter despair and the kind of sense there's nothing else to gain but to resist. And so that is occurring right at the, the first uprising, occurs already in January, right around the time when, in other ways, Conference of Casablanca, Stalingrad, the attack on Tripoli, there are these big changes that are already potentially writing a slightly more hopeful future, but they're not quite yet strong enough to actually change the fate of many Jews. And so for, for many sense and purposes, from here on forward, news about defeat and liberation and continued persecution will continue to coexist for the next, well, two and a half years, almost all the way down to May of 1945. Like you mentioned, there's this element of despair, and Jews are starting to get this picture of what happens when deportations from the ghettos take place. They know that equates to death. So there's, like you said, this despair and this point of desperation. We have to do something, because if we don't do something, it's it's just our end. So there's this uprising and this organization and underground connections with the Polish army and all these pieces that have to fall into place in order for this uprising to take place. And even so, even with this uprising that lasts nearly a month, the Jews still aren't successful in protecting themselves. 7,000 Jews are captured. 
um, another 7,000 are killed during the fighting. You know, it's it's very brutally put down by the Germans. And also, as a point of retaliation, they burn the ghetto that to smoke out those who have gone into hiding, who have begun to resist German calls for deportations. They've built bunkers. They've built underground systems where they resist and they hide. And Germans completely crush that and also, as a result, crush the morale of the Jews who had thought this as a, a spark of hope. It will take some time for this reality to sit in, but a big shockwave for Germans will be the air raids on the on the cities. So in particular, the attacks on Hamburg, for example, in June 43 will be a shockwave. It all of a sudden brings the war quite literally home and indicates to everyone how vulnerable one is, which also on, of sorts now brings up the question, how strong is this Third Reich, actually, if it can't even protect its own cities any longer? And so there's lots of things that are happening in reality, but also lots of things that are you know, starting to, to challenge you know, common assumptions about the, the thousand years um, of, of the Third Reich you know, at this point. And so there's a kind of coming undone of this on the, on the fringes of sorts, which will create a very different dynamic and I think also results again in a yet a renewed attention to, to genocide, but also a new commitment probably to even more brutality. Um, once again, you know, as already indicated by the response to the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, that when it when the Third Reich now does face resistance, it, not that they haven't been ruthless before, but now probably they try to be even more decisive because they too have a sense of how the grounds are slowly starting to shift. There's a feeling of desperation on both ends that results in the uprising on the one side and then in the brutality on the other side because the position is being lost, the power is being lost. And it's very important to talk about what are the ramifications of these liquidations, what are the ramifications of the Jews rising up against the Germans, and and how does this play out for the next two years? So in many ways, you know, it's this acceleration of, of trying to, on, on the part of the Third Reich, the liquidation of the ghettos, the kind of who had served to some extent on and off also economic roles, this becomes less relevant. And there's really this concerted effort to, you know, complete in many ways what had begun with Operation Reinhardt, meaning the annihilation of Polish Jewry. But at the same time, I think another ramification of all this is that up until now, the Nazis were able to kill large numbers of Jews who, by and large, lived very close to the places where they were eventually would be killed. So this is what the you know, Peter Hayes has called the compression of space, right? So between the place of living and the place of death is, is not a big distance. They come from close by. And therefore, the Third Reich succeeds in killing three million Jews. Now, the majority of Jews that are going to be killed in Auschwitz come sometimes from all the way across Europe. They come from all of German, from the German Reich, from the Netherlands, from Luxembourg, from from France, and eventually from all the way from Greece. So this becomes a very different effort, which requires really deportation on a larger scale. The largest number of, of a condensed, accelerated deportation will occur actually only in 44 with the Hungarian deportations, where within three months, almost a half a million Jews are being deported. But while it continues to be part of what we call the Holocaust, what, what I'm trying to get at, it is accomplished now in a very different way. 
Well, that's all we have for 1943, but um, we will continue our series with 1944 and 1945 coming soon. Thank you again, Angie, and thank you, Katie. This podcast is hosted by a team of dedicated faculty and research assistants at the Ackerman Center for Holocaust Studies. You can learn more about our work and find upcoming events at our website, www.ackerman.utdallas.edu.